right. Sorry for that poorly edited intro, but, uh, you know, I kind of dig it, so it's, uh, it's here to stay. So, listeners, welcome to the inaugural episode of Saturday Morning Snicktoons. This is going to be a Saturday morning show where I walk through and break down and discuss the significance on my childhood, um, how every X-Men cartoon fared. So I will be starting with the 1989 pilot episode called Pride of the X-Men. I'll move into X-Men, the animated series, go into X-Men Evolution, and finish it up with Wolverine and the X-Men. Way back when I first got Talkin' Snicked started, my original plan was to cover the cartoons, but at the time there were so many really great podcasts out there that did that very same thing and not just covered it from a nostalgia's sake or just from a, you know, the perspective of a super fanboy, but all kinds of different perspectives from an adult who had never seen the show before watching it with uh, her boyfriend who was going through for the umpteenth time. Another was exploring the X-Men and all of the LGBT subtext from the comic books and how that subtext translated over into the various cartoons and other iterations. There is uh, a couple more podcasts, one from Down Under that does the same kind of deal where they go through each episode and provide somewhat historical context and how it ties back into the comics. So, there were and continue to be so many great podcasts that cover the X-Men cartoons. So when I first started, I decided, all right, well, Wolverine is a character who, who I've, I love very much. And uh, a big reason for that is because of X-Men, the animated series, you know, the 90s cartoon. And as I got into adulthood, you know, and I realized that there are a lot of people out there that hate Wolverine and in many cases, wrongfully so, that I decided to take it upon myself to highlight all the very best storylines and things about Wolverine that kind of illustrate that he's not just this furry little murder machine, that he is, in fact, a very heartfelt, deep and warm character. And I think I've succeeded in that so far, and I'm looking forward to continuing more talking Snicked. But I've caught the podcast bug again. I really want to be behind the mic talking to all of you awesome people and going through something that is probably the largest foundational piece of my X-Men fandom. And that is the cartoons and the toys, specifically the ones from the 90s. Although the two series that have come since have also been uh, very, very good. But I mean, my fanboyism for X-Men really catapulted with X-Men the Animated Series. Now, that show came out in 1992. I was a seven-year-old kid, and I did already know who the X-Men were. But as a seven-year-old kid, how intimate are you with these characters? Well, the answer is not very. I had some trading cards that featured the X-Men, and my older sisters had a couple of comic books here and there that also featured them. So I knew that they were superheroes. I knew that they had awesome costumes and powers and all that sort of stuff. But when X-Men the Animated Series launched in 92, that was it. Like, that was the door, you know, slamming open. I don't know if doors slam open, but that was the case. Think of it, you know, the door... My fandom had creaked open, I knew about these characters, and then this show happened, and bam, that door was thrown all the way open. However, before I can dive into X-Men the Animated Series, I have to cover, well I don't have to, I get to, I'm actually really excited about it, but I'm going to cover 
Like I said earlier, the 1989 pilot episode for a failed X-Men cartoon, the pilot thus called Pride of the X-Men. So Pride of the X-Men was a pilot for an X-Men cartoon, and it did not catch on. You know, unfortunately, the powers that be, when they saw this episode, they chose not to greenlight this project. It was a project spearheaded by Marvel Productions, the animation studio of Marvel Comics, whose CEO or president, I I, I think president is the right term, Margaret Lesh. She had worked her way up to become president of Marvel Productions, and her favorite of all the Marvel comics was X-Men. Now, over the last few years of her career, she had been fighting to get any Marvel project backed and greenlit and on TV, and her passion project was X-Men. Up to this point in the late 80s, Marvel Productions' biggest hit was a co-production with Jim Henson Company or Jim Henson Studio of Muppet Babies. So a comic book company that owns an animation studio whose biggest hit is Muppet Babies. So Margaret Lesh found herself in charge of Marvel Productions. And she fought really hard to get an X-Men show made. Up to this point, we had seen X-Men characters appear in a few of the other short-lived Marvel animated cartoons. Uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, for example, featured Iceman pretty prominently and also had, I think, Xavier and like Colossus and uh, Cyclops, maybe Storm, had appeared here and there. Uh, but nothing really major. And and up to this point, none of the Marvel cartoons really ever took off. But she took a gamble and she put together a really fantastic team. And unfortunately, Pride of the X-Men was not enough to get a Project Greenlit. But they did make the one episode. And it did appear sometimes on television prior to its release on VHS after the success of the, the premiere of the 92 cartoon, the X-Men animated series. I actually first saw this because my dad had recorded it off the TV and we had a really crappy VHS copy. The tracking was all off. The sound was warpy. It really wasn't very good. Uh, A few years later, I want to say like 92 or 93, uh, we were actually able to order the official VHS copy of this episode from one of those like book club things that they would send, you know, you're in school and they sent you like this little book order. And you go through and you fill out what you want and it gives you the price and you write a check and then you turn it into your teacher and like six months later, boom, you got some books, you got some tapes, things that you probably forgot you even ordered. I didn't even know that my dad had ordered the tape. So I remember it being in school and the book order comes in and I had probably ordered like a Goosebumps book or maybe, you know, one of the scary stories to tell in the dark from Alvin Schwartz. Loved those friggin' books, by the way. Man. I should track those down. I bet my 10-year-old, I'm getting off topic. So I loved the book orders. And yeah, you can imagine my surprise when here I am expecting like this book with scary stories and all of a sudden my teacher hands me a VHS tape of X-Men. I ran home, watched it, I don't know how many times. But even I think before the tape came out, they already released a uh, action figure line from Toy Biz in 1991 that featured pretty much all the characters from the show except for Kitty and the Dazzler. And so they replaced Dazzler with Archangel, who was one of my favorite figures from that initial line. So I had all those toys and I had the VHS tape from the VCR that was really bad. So my fandom was like it was already it was already lit. 
Um, so now I want to talk about this really awesome VHS tape copy specifically of Pride of the X-Men. So you're in school, you get this tape, you run home, you pop it in your VCR. And firstly, before you can enjoy the cartoon, live action Spidey shows up to tell all the ineligible children to go vote. It's like this little PSA where a guy in a Spider-Man suit is talking to the camera and saying like, make sure you register to vote, seven-year-olds. I mean, like, what's the... Uh, Anyway, the episode begins in earnest with the banging, somewhat lyrically nonsensible theme song cut with action from the upcoming episode before fading into a slightly mutant-phobic intro monologue which exposits what mutants are, who the X-Men are, what their ideals are, and who those ideals are opposed by. We then see a lonely, lonesome highway, probably east of Omaha, and the military convoy traveling upon it. Then the purpose of the convoy is revealed. It is transporting Magneto, a very powerful evil mutant. They really ham up the evil military aspect here by having the colonel in command share some, you know, hateful thoughts regarding mutants. Magneto, of course, slings an equally hate-filled retort. But before anything comes of it, the convoy swerves off the road. The colonel is contacted by a member of the convoy who states the convoy is sinking into quicksand. The quicksand is then revealed to be an illusion caused by the evil White Queen. She is able to use her powers to overload the system that's holding Magneto prisoner inside one of the convoy trucks. He uses the overload to free himself and the terrible two make their escape. Night changes into day and we are now outside a large mansion as a cab pulls up. The passenger, a young girl, gets out but is clearly nervous. A quick bit of exposition, and we learn she is a mutant who quote-unquote phases through walls. She enters the mansion and is ferried to the Cerebro Room by the mental projection of Charles Xavier. We are then rewarded with a bit more exposition. Mutants, X-Men, Cerebro, all of it introduced and explained. This, of course, bleeds into a video montage introducing each X-Man in turn and explaining their powers. And I love this montage. I don't know how many times I would just watch this part over and over. Firstly, Gadzooks, also called Cyclops. I don't know where that came from. It reminds me of the good old Silver Age when Cyclops was always called Slim as if that was his real name. Although I do believe that Slim was his intended real name, but I don't know what Gadzooks is. He's never to my knowledge or or recollection, ever been referred to by that name in the comics or or anywhere else. But yeah, Xavier's like, Gadzooks, also called Cyclops. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he uses his optic blasts to destroy this like weird statue thing. Next up, Peter Rasputin or Colossus can turn into metal and he basically becomes invincible. Allison Blair, the Dazzler, is captured in the vines of a very unfriendly piranha plant. Uh, And she's able to uh, put her hands together, make like the little shape of a gun, and she shoots them both with sound light bullets. Next up, Nightcrawler teleports around some big robot statue, and then my man Wolverine runs up, snicks his claws, and trashes the thing. He's also sporting my personal favorite suit, the brown and yellow, but hey, I like the blue and yellow one too, I suppose. 
Lastly, we meet Aurora Monroe. Being Queen Weatherwitch, she creates a storm, pun intended, then blows it away. Xavier contacts his X-Men in the Danger Room, and Nightcrawler teleports into Cerebro to introduce himself to the new student. But, unfortunately, he creeps her out, and we finally see what she can do. As she phases through the computer and into the Danger Room. Her descent is slowed by a quick updraft created by Storm, and then Colossus catches her, and she's introduced to the team. Wolverine, of course, doesn't like her. He finally speaks, and he's Australian! That's right. Marvel Productions must have been clairvoyant here, because this is some pretty amazing foreshadowing of the casting of Mr. Hugh Jackman, an Australian, to play Wolverine in the live-action movies. The meet and greet is cut short, though, as an alarm blares and the X-Men, minus one professor and one kitty, head to the Blackbird and peace out. Of course, we learn the X-Men were lured away and the mansion is then sieged by Magneto and Juggernaut. Juggy brushes off the mansion defenses and the two evil characters gain entry. Xavier quickly reads the mind of Magneto and discovers that he's after the mutant power circuit MacGuffin. We also learn Xavier and Juggy are stepbrothers. Anyway, Xavier and Kitty are no match for the bad guys, and Mags gets what he wants, and the baddies vamoose. The scene changes to show us how the X-Men fared. Not a really big or integral part of the episode, but we get to see X-Men protect humans against evil mutants, and we're introduced to two new members of the Brotherhood, Blob and Pyro. Next, we go to a new place, Magneto's base, in space, Asteroid M, and we see the final evil mutant, Toad. Magneto then reveals his evil plan. He's going to use the MacGuffin to amplify his power and grab a comet to throw at Earth, causing a new ice age. We do get to see Lockheed and hear a pretty sweet Peter Lorre impression as done by Toad. You know, in all those old black and white shows or even in like Looney Tunes cartoons, they always have like the uh, suave evil scientist who in like the black and white stuff was always played by Vincent Price. But then there was always like the little Igor character who was like like the hunchback and he was a creepy and weird. Well, that was usually, you know, Peter Lorre. And so every time we get those character archetypes, they're always mirrored after those performances. And so the, uh, the Toad Peter Lorre is pretty spot on. So again, we check in on our heroes. The X-Men return from their mission to find the mansion in ruins and Xavier injured. Kitty is also found and she drops some more development with the team reunited and awake, Xavier attempts to reach Magneto's mind. Simultaneously, Magneto is implementing his plan to grab the comet, and Xavier is hit by the feedback and physically knocked out of his chair. The X-Men decide now is the time to take action, and they head to the Blackbird once more and fly to Asteroid M. Then, we see that Kitty actually stowed away on the Blackbird, so she is now part of this mission. The X-Men arrive and enter the base. Magneto dispatches the Brotherhood to slow them down, and we are treated to another action montage. The heroes and villains pair off. Dazzler vs. Pyro, Wolverine vs. Toad, Colossus vs. Juggernaut, Cyclops vs. White Queen, and lastly, Nightcrawler against the Blob. Or is it? 
Kurt actually just teleports right past Blob and continues on to then confront Magneto himself. Magneto then uh, engages Kurt in some fisticuffs, although they don't really actually fight each other. Magneto's like powering up a blast. Anyway, but before Magneto can defeat Kurt, Kitty and Lockheed come to the rescue. Kitty phases through the ground and knocks Magneto back, causing his blast to go errant, and the blast damages the contraption that the MacGuffin is attached to. Kitty then knocks Magneto down, and the power surge changes the comet's course towards the asteroid. So no longer racing towards Earth, now it's racing directly towards Asteroid M. Unfortunately, Nightcrawler has to use his own body as a conduit to continue powering the device, or the comet will change course back on an earthly trajectory. Both the Brotherhood and X-Men separately evacuate, leaving Nightcrawler behind. Of course, at the last minute, Nightcrawler teleports into space, and the X-Men attempt to retrieve him using the tractor beams of the Blackbird. However, before the Blackbird can reach him, it appears he burns up in the atmosphere. And here we cue six-year-old Ryan's tears. And as Kitty cries along with six-year-old me, there is a banging coming from the lockers in the back of the Blackbird. And oh, happy day, Kurt is still alive. Somehow he managed to teleport from the Earth's atmosphere into a locker on the Blackbird. Everyone's happy. Kitty gives Nightcrawler a kiss and apologizes for having been so mean to him as she was feeling pretty guilty when she thought that he was 86th. And Kitty and Lockheed then join the X-Men, even getting Wolverine's almost approval. He says the kid got lucky, but don't make her an X-Man. Not yet. Of course, try you know hear that in an Australian accent. I'm not going to try because I don't want your guys' ears to bleed, but uh, this is Australian Wolverine, remember. After that, we get a quick little outro by Stan Lee, and that is all she wrote. So, a couple of things about this episode. First off, there are so many great one-liners in this episode. Uh, When Juggernaut first breaks into the mansion, he's like, No warm welcome for your dear stepbrother. I like that they made Juggernaut basically just like a pirate. I'm just waiting for Magneto to like tell him to swab the deck. Um, It kind of lines up with the lyrics of the theme song itself, which at one point they say Magneto's hordes are on their way to pillage, I think, burn and plunder. So, you know, the the evil terrorist brotherhood of mutants are actually just pirates, you just a merry band of pirates. Um, So so that's pretty good. Nightcrawler, uh, like they really do a good job of making sure that every character who should have an accent does. You know, Peter is very much Russian in this, almost to the point of being like a Russian caricature. Nightcrawler definitely sounds like a nice German gentleman. They give Storm a bit of an accent as well to kind of play up the fact that she is half Kenyan royalty of some sort of tribe in Kenya. Dazzler and Cyclops don't really have any accents or anything because, you know, Typical Americans, neither does Kitty. Um, although I do really enjoy Cyclops's uh, voice portrayal in this particular episode. It's very, like, cowboy, kind of. You know, like, gunslinging leader of the gang kind of uh, voice. And I really dig it. 
Um, they really do. Uh, they give Pyro, you know, a nice Australian accent, even more Australian than Wolverine's, which makes sense because Pyro's actually Australian and, and Wolverine's Canadian. Just, yeah, really great voice acting. I'll go through and break down the casting a little bit later because there are some names in here that, uh, you know, animation fans will probably recognize. Uh, but other other really great lines when we have the little fight with uh, Toad and Wolverine. Wolverine calls Toad a dingo, so that's pretty good. There's at one point Kitty like breaks into this weird like British accent when she's confronting Magneto. She starts off like, "Yeah, the comet is no longer going towards Earth." Now it's going to come towards this base instead. Like, it, <laughs> I don't know why she breaks into that weird accent uh, for that particular line, but she does. Uh, it's probably not played up as much as the one that I just did, but like, it's pretty similar to that. Um, I think my favorite line, though, in this whole cartoon is uh, where we're down to the action montage and all we have left is Nightcrawler and Blob. And they have like this little pathway that's about as tall as a man to walk through, you know, maybe six feet, six and a half feet tall so that you can walk from the one chamber into the other chamber where all the bad, where, where I guess where Magneto is. Um, and it only comes up to like Blob's thigh. So they have Blob as just this, like this giant, like he's got to be 14 feet tall, right? In this, in this cartoon, you know, and he stops and, and Nightcrawler comes up to him and Blob just says like, no force on earth can move the Blob. And Nightcrawler just like bows and says like, and I wouldn't dream of trying. And then he just teleports right behind him. And then Blob's looking around all confused. He's like, hey, where'd it go? (laughs) Um, Oh, such a great episode. Okay, so for those of you that don't own this or or whatever, can't watch it anywhere, it's on YouTube. You just search Pride of the X-Men on YouTube and there's like five, six videos of the entire thing. And it's 20 minutes long. It's a real quick watch. So if you've never seen it, seriously, go watch. Um, and if not, then, uh, you know, you're welcome. Uh, but if you have seen it, then uh, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so those are some of my favorite moments. The animation in this show is actually really good. Um, I, I believe that Marvel Productions actually partnered up with uh, TOEI, or I like to call it TOEI Animation, who was like the Japanese animation studio behind such hits as Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, among many others. So, I mean, it's a legit animation studio, and the animation for this looked really good. Like, despite the fact that it looked like an 80s cartoon, it was very good animation. The character designs, all of them were excellent. The aesthetics, like, not just the good guys, but the bad guys. Like, all the characters looked like they did in the comics at that point. You have Dazzler wearing her, you know, Outback era costume, Storm in her giant size X-Men costume. Same with Cyclops and Nightcrawler. You have Wolverine in his uh, brown and yellow costume. Like I mentioned, that's that's my like personal favorite Wolverine suit. I just think that thematically brown and yellow looks more like the actual animal Wolverine than blue and yellow does. But again, that's just personal taste. Colossus looked great. They even did the whole thing where when he's in his human form, the upper part of his pants are blue, but then when he turns into his armored state, he's he it, it disappears so you can see his chrome upper legs and stuff. Like, just all that little attention to detail. Like, it was a really well put together cartoon. And it makes sense because the 
American side of the production company uh, who worked for uh, Marvel Productions under Margaret Lesh. Some really great names. I, I want to get into them and mention them here. I was going to wait until I started covering the animated series, X-Men the Animated Series, because they all came over. Guys like Larry Houston and Will Minio and Rich Hoberg, all those guys actually came over to X-Men the Animated Series, uh, which is probably why that was such a successful series. And it just seems weird that this one didn't really capture the animation. Yeah, it didn't capture the imagination or the hearts and minds of these uh, studio heads. It's really too bad. Or I guess, you know, television network head. I mean, they, they did a toy line to tie into this episode specifically. They created an arcade game. An arcade game was created with this lineup in these costumes to sell this cartoon. And for whatever reason, yeah, it just never got the green light. It was never picked up by, by any network. Um, like I, I keep saying it's too bad, but you know, the silver lining here is that after this, uh, Margaret, Lesh left Marvel Productions and was able to become president of Fox Kids and was finally able to be the net, the network executive that could give the green light. And we were finally able to get um, an X-Men cartoon, which in, in my personal opinion is probably the greatest adaptation of X-Men that we've ever seen. Better than Evolution, better than Wolverine and the X-Men, better than any of the live action movies. If you don't believe me, go check out Honest Trailers on YouTube and look up the X-Men, the animated series Honest Trailers. I'm not the only one who feels that the cartoons are are vastly superior to everything but the source material itself. So I think we will go ahead and round out this episode by spotlighting the cast of this really well put together pilot episode of an X-Men cartoon. So the cast of the episode, we have Michael Bell as Cyclops, Andy Chapman as Storm, Ronald Gans as Juggernaut, Alan Oppenheimer as Blob, Neil Ross as Nightcrawler, Alexandra Stoddart by, uh, as Dazzler, Earl Bone, Bane, I don't know, as Magneto, Pat Fraley as Pyro. So, um, fun fact, I also host a Ninja Turtles podcast with my sons. Well, not really. I mean, we have three episodes and I have half of a fourth recorded, but my sons are a little unruly and don't really want to uh, record with me. But Pat Fraley, also the voice of Krang from the 87 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Dan Gilvezin as Colossus, Patrick Pinney as Wolverine, Susan Silo as White Queen, John Stevenson as Professor X, Frank Welker as both Toad and Lockheed. And animation fans will probably recognize the voice of Kitty Pride, who is played by Kath Susie. So that covers it for today's episode of Saturday Morning Snicktoons. This is going to be a new Saturday morning weekly supplemental podcast. I really only envision these episodes being about 30 minutes, doing a quick breakdown of the episode for the day, and uh, just talking about what these episodes and, and X-Men meant to me as a kid growing up watching this stuff. I do recommend for anyone who's interested, next week we will be starting with episode one, part one of uh, Night of the Sentinels, which is the pilot episode for X-Men, the animated series. But there are a few things that I would recommend people get if they have the chance. There have been two books published about this animated series 
by the former showrunner of the show, Eric Leewald. One of them is called Previously on X-Men, The Making of an Animated Series. And the other is called The Art and Making of the... Well, it's called X-Men, The Art and Making of the Animated Series by Eric Leewald and Julia Leewald. So Eric Leewald was the uh, showrunner on the original X-Men animated series, and Julia Leewald, his wife, was also um, a staff writer and wrote a couple of the best episodes of the show. So um, definitely check those books out. They are excellent supplemental material if you are looking to do a deep dive or even just a rewatch for nostalgia's sake. Give these books, uh, check them out. I know that the uh, the art book, you can get it on like the Target website. I got mine for like 50% off. Um, and then I actually got my copy of previously on X-Men uh, for free. Because fun fact, I actually wrote one of the fan testimonials for the show that was included in the published version. So I actually have a copy of previously on X-Men um, autographed by Eric Leewald that I received as a thank you. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but go check them out. They can both be found retail and online, uh, but they're totally worth a read. Awesome, awesome stuff. So, uh, Bubs, you can find me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked, or you can reach me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Um, drop me a line if you want to uh, continue the conversation. Now go ahead and throw Snicked Tunes in the subject line or just Snicked, you know, let me know which show it is that you're talking about and, uh, you know, we can keep this conversation going. Um, don't forget to drop on. If you're listening to this on Apple podcast, don't forget to, uh, drop a rating and or written review. Uh, it helps more people discover the show. So this has been a lot of fun, a uh, fun little way to spend a Saturday morning. And I'm looking forward to you all tuning in, I guess next week as we start, X-Men the Animated Series with Episode 1, Night of the Sentinels, Part 1. Until next time, bubs. <laughs>